there's a lot of gray area with second chance hiring and and sometimes you don't always get it right you really don't and and if you are going to be a second chance hiring company know that there bad comes with the good you're going to have great stories and then you're also going to be like oh my gosh that was really bad what just happened there and would that have happened if we hired you know somebody coming out of prison maybe not maybe but would we also have these other 30 loyal employees that we couldn't live without? No. So you do have, it's a risk. It's a risk reward opportunity. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Although I founded and run the most thorough and accurate background screening com company in the country, fight me. I've also been an advocate for employers' fair and thoughtful evaluation of criminal history. In fact, on the Thursday this podcast drops, I'm delivering a free webinar entitled How to Fairly and Legally Evaluate Applicants' Criminal History Information. I've also put together training materials on how to look for meaningful work with a criminal history. Just simply as a society, we can't afford to have a large population of people willing to work who are unemployable. And now in the wake of the great resignation, employers are actively looking for previously untapped labor markets, including that part of our population that might've previously been involved in the criminal justice system. Our guest today has proven time and again that former offenders, with an emphasis on former, often make great employees. Cherry Garcia is the entrepreneurial founder of Cornbread Hustle, a staffing agency for second chance employment. Cornbread Hustle was recently named the United Way of Metropolitan Dallas's Social Innovator of the Year. Cherry is passionate about helping people with criminal backgrounds and uh, in recovery find transformation through employment or entrepreneurship. Cherry's own story of transformation is pretty moving, and I really recommend you follow her on LinkedIn for daily doses of inspiration. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Cherry. Hey, Mike. How are you? Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Let's just start at the beginning. How did Cornbread Hustle come to be? Well, man, you know, sometimes I go all the way back to high school when my first hit of drugs started and sometimes I just say you know what I found a problem and I knew how to solve it through entrepreneurship so I'm gonna do something a little bit in the middle so I can make a very long story short I did fall victim to drug addiction I decided to try meth which is a stimulant it's a drug that at the time had promised to help me lose weight stay up later, get good grades, like all the things that that drug promises you. So I was eager to try it. I was your girl next door. I was on the cheerleading team, on the softball team. So it's not like I can blame growing up in a toxic environment or in a, uh, a part of town that had a whole bunch of drugs. I simply made a choice to try drugs based on information that I was given. So I tried meth and then I stayed addicted and I did it every single day for two years. So I very quickly, um, I was I was in high school, so I somehow by just very, 
by the skin of my teeth, I somehow graduated high school. I, in fact, I had to do community service just to get my diploma because I missed so much school. I had already had my own apartment because I was dealing drugs. Like I grew up really, really fast. And I was always entrepreneurial. Even whenever I was using drugs and I was in high school, I had my own business. It was a photography studio. So the passions that I had in my entrepreneurial spirit was always there, no matter how old I was or how tweaked out on drugs I was. But it, it finally just got to a point, I had a lot of arrests and all of them were petty arrests. They were either for theft or having too many tickets, warrants, just irresponsible behavior as a result of drug use. And I finally just got to a point where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I was like, okay, this is not how I wanna live. And I was just thinking back to what I really wanted, which was being a news reporter. And so I, I literally, like looking back, I say I quit cold turkey, uh, and I did, but I never, I didn't go through the recovery process. I didn't face all the trauma or the reasons that, the insecurities I had that got me to use the drugs in the first place. And so I dove straight into another addiction, which was entrepreneurship. And I do still have a slight addiction to entrepreneurship, so I'm not I'm not fully in recovery on that. But entrepreneurship was perfect for me because the highs were so high and the lows are really low. And that to me that filled the void and I, I love the chaos. So I here I am, I end up very strategically getting a job in the newsroom. I invented a product while I was working the overnights at CBS eleven. And uh, I was the assignment editor, so I listened to all the police scanners, and I was the one that decided if we send out a crew to cover the story or not. So I was I was moving and shaking, and I was having a good time. I love I loved everything about success and entrepreneurship, and it became my passion and addiction to prove everyone wrong, to prove to my family and, and all the friends from high school that look how smart I am, look how good I am, which is my problem. That was my problem. It was seeking outside validation. Um, they say a piggy bank with a little bit of money makes a lot more noise. So I was that piggy bank with two pennies in it, just making all this noise, trying to prove to everyone how great I was. And while I was doing that, I was also like, and then I'll help you get successful and I'll help you get successful and I'm going to go into prisons and I'm going to volunteer and help everyone get successful. And I did do that. I went into prisons and started volunteering and um, turns out these people would come out and be like, how am I going to start a business with $50 and a bus pass? And I was like, well, I don't know. How about we start back at the drawing board? Let's Google some businesses that are kind of like what you want to do and just start learning through entrepreneurship and then we'll be on the path to start your own business. And so I did that over and over again while drinking myself to death, by the way, I was pouring into other people while filling myself up with alcohol. So a, a huge misconception is that people say you can't help others until you help yourself. That's not true. You absolutely can help others. If you haven't helped yourself, you're just not a great leader. And I wasn't, I wasn't a great leader. I wasn't walking the walk. I was just talking the talk. And so I helped a bunch of people get jobs. And I finally one day was like, hmm, how could I make money doing this? 
had no no um, desire whatsoever to make it a nonprofit because I just didn't want I didn't want to rely on donors to get results. I wanted to rely on my hustle, and so that's how Cornbread Hustle came to be a staffing agency for second chances, a for-profit banking. I, now I was, thank God I was drunk because had I not been <laughs> drunk, <laughs> had I not been drunk, number one, I wouldn't have named my company Cornbread Hustle uh, because I still like think to myself all the time, like who names their company Cornbread Hustle? Drunk Sherry does. And um, I also, I don't think I would have had the guts to really take the leap to say, I'm only going to pay my bills if people getting out of prison are successful and do a good job. So I, I really, I took a crazy leap and I'm glad, I'm really glad I did. It was a real uphill battle. Um, the November, November, or December, it was late November, or early December of 2017. I got arrested in broad daylight for a DWI and I was like, well, this doesn't look good. And I was like scratching my head in the back of a cop car, like, all right, PR girl, how are you going to spin this one? <laughs> and I was just thinking that I started justifying like, well, everybody drinks and drives. I just happened to get caught and who wouldn't drink having a job like this? Like I had all these thoughts in my mind and I did end up getting the DWI, the breathalyzer on my car and, I kept drinking despite all that. I, I shook in my boots with fear every time I went to probation to take a drug test. Everything everything that the people I work with go through, I had to go through as well. So um, there finally came a point where I just got, again, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was tired of trying to control the alcohol um to, to see if I could, how many hours has it been since I drank so I can blow into this breathalyzer. And I, I finally just said, I, I can't drink anymore. I'm done. And then it took six months of quietly getting sober behind closed doors um, until I finally did another crazy thing. So early recovery, I guess I was crazy again. I got on LinkedIn and I told the world, I, I, need, I have a confession to make. Um, this may really lose a lot of credibility given what I do for a living, but um, I have a breathalyzer in my car, and some of you may have one too, because a lot, one in four people struggle um, with alcoholism. So I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. If I help somebody, great. If not, whatever. At the time, it didn't matter. I had a negative bank account, and I had lost it all anyway, and all I had was God and sobriety. So I was like, at least they can't take that away. And I think at the time I had like 2,000 followers and then now I have like 120,000. So turns out being honest paid off and now the company's doing really well. And Cornbread Hustle is my absolute passion and, and dream job. And I'm just so happy that things turned out the way they did. Tell me where the, first of all, I remember that LinkedIn post and uh, it it was, it was raw and honest. Uh, and like you are every, in every interaction we've ever had, I think. And, um, it was, it was, it was moving. And a lot of your stuff is uh, on LinkedIn, uh, has nothing to do with cornbread hustle. It's just, it's, it's about, I think about inspiring people who are struggling and, uh, maybe have never been touched by the Carlsworth system, but, uh, just are struggling. And, and, uh, you're, you know, it's, you're, you're, I'm pretty, I consider myself one of the most open people I know about all the, 
the stuff and uh, that I dumb stuff I do, but I mean, you take it to a whole new level, and and that's to be, and that, but that's to be, you know, to your to your uh, credit. So tell me, where does the term, the name cornbread hustle come from? So whenever I would visit the prisons uh, when I was volunteering, because I volunteered for five years before I started this company. Um, and yeah, because I've been going to prisons for 10 years and Cornbread Hustle is five years old. And whenever I would go in there, because I'm usually always on like a low carb diet. And uh, unfortunately, I am psycho in that way. I count every calorie. I count all my carbs. When I go into prison, that's when the justification starts. I'm like, well, I'm in prison. Might as well eat some carbs. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and there's a lot of cornbread in prison. And so... um I used to sit in the chow hall with general population and eat with all the residents in there and all the guys. And um, I would be sitting in there just talking to them. And I'd be like, you going to eat that? And I'd be like, I'd literally be like, can I have that? You're not going to eat that because they're so sick of their own food. They don't want anything to do with it. I'd take the sandwich and put the chips on it and smash it and be like, give, <laughs> give me another sandwich. Um, and so they used to always joke around and they used a, a a phrase from a movie called life with Eddie Martin and or Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy. And there's a scene where they get in a fight over cornbread and, and it's this deep voice guy. That's like, you go on eat your cornbread. And so they always said that to me and laughed and we're like, dang, Sherry, you go on eat your cornbread or what? And so, um, Whenever I just thought of starting my company, I was like, I got to name it something that has to do with cornbread. Because it was just an inside joke with the first people that I started trying to help find jobs. So we have we have some we have a group of people called the OGs, the originals, that all were like literally sitting at that prison table while they were still in prison. And I'm friends with all of them whenever I was like, I'm going to name this company something that has to do with cornbread. And here we are. That's, I love that story. That's just, again, that's so real. But so you're so transparent. Has that always been easy for you? No, because I was a fake liar. So it's not easy to be transparent when you're fake. Um, you know, actually it is. So there, our core values at Cornbread Hustle is empowerment, accountability, transparency. And for a while there, I had one employee that kept saying, well, I'm being transparent. And I was like, yeah, but there's no change. Like he'd literally come in and be like, um, I messed up. And he'd say like exactly like the horrible thing he did, you know, and I'd say, okay, this is a problem, you know? And then he'd be like, well, but I'm being transparent. And I'm like, well, yeah, but transparency without change is just, you know, it's just a confession. So um, it is easy to be transparent whenever you're only revealing the part that you want people to see. But I think it's whenever you add vulnerability that makes transparency stand out. That's the key. You can be transparent all day long and tell people whatever sides of you you want them to see. But vulnerability, like when you have that feeling of I feel naked and like alone and in front of a crowd of people by sharing this, that's usually when you're going to have the most people say, wow, you're not alone because I feel the same. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved 
for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 22 and enter the keyword CHERRY. That's C-H-E-R-I. As mentioned earlier, today I'm hosting a webinar entitled How to Fairly and Legally Evaluate Applicants' Criminal History Information. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this program after December 9th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Cherry Garcia. And, uh, and it's that, I guess, you know, faulty thinking or the, the whole thing of, you know, you know, making critical errors in judgment, uh, that we all suffer from at some level, uh, that's, you know, leads us to, to get into situations that, you know, could easily turn into a DWI or worse. Um, and that's, I think, at the the root of a lot of employers' concerns. When you're talking to employers about hiring former offenders, what kind of concerns do you typically hear from them, and and what's your response to usually? So usually, whenever I have an onboarding call with the client, I do go ahead and ask them, okay, what's your current second chance hiring hiring policy? A lot of times they don't even have one, and this is their first time to even engage with this type of talent pool because quite frankly they don't have a choice (laughs) as you said earlier you're like uh yeah nobody wants to work and our company blew through the roof whenever the coronavirus crisis happened we thought we were going to lose all our jobs we started disinfecting we didn't even know what we were going to do and then it wasn't strategic i wish i could take credit for this but it i wasn't strategic in any part of it this was all god Turns out people coming out of prison aren't eligible for unemployment. So companies were like, oh, we need to hire people coming out of prison. So I was like, hey, I've been waiting for the last three years trying to convince you. I'm so glad you finally have a heart for second chances. That's awesome. So um, it just really, really, really worked out. And we were like, holy cow, now we have all this disinfecting business. Now we have staffing business. It was just the most beautiful god thing ever and it it was right at the one year that i had been sober and let me tell you like that first year of being sober one thing that a lot of people don't share a lot of people in recovery we share the highlight reel a lot like look at my glow up look at how great life is now look at my bank account now compared to what it was but one thing that doesn't get shared often enough and i need to share more of it is that first year just because you've changed your intentions and your actions doesn't mean you're going to see the results or the fruits for a while. So being stone cold sober and sad and depressed while not having any money to even get an Uber because your card declined and you're having to figure out how are you going to even get gas to get to your next meeting to try to save your failing business. That's not easy. So it's that, that first year is really, really hard. So Coming off of that first year and somehow me not, and I, I hate, I went there like not killing myself because I was that, I was that in the dark. Like I hadn't drank again. I hadn't taken my own life and I was still hanging on by a thread. And then our business starts to explode. That was the best gift of a year 
of sobriety that I could ever receive. And I, I just like, I was so emotional about it for a long time. I still get very emotional about it, just how God worked through all that. And truthfully, you know, if, if God is as powerful as we say he is and knows everything, he probably knew that I couldn't handle all that money and success before I had a year of sobriety under my belt anyway. So it's probably a good thing that I humbled my, that I had to be humbled. But, um, all these people started to ask us, you know, like we need to hire people with records. And so I'd ask them like, what's your comfort level first? Let's just talk about that. And I allow my clients to get very vulnerable and transparent, even though they're HR people. Right. So they're like looking around out of the sides of their eyes and like, well, I mean, I know I'm not supposed to say this or, but this is, I'm like, just, I don't care if you're supposed to say it or not. Like I just told you that I used to smoke meth from a pipe. Like just tell me what you're feeling and then I'll help educate you and we'll walk through it. So, we're very open about like what their current culture is. Sometimes um, I have a lot of HR professionals that struggle with their own culture because they just don't even know how to contain it the way that it is without people who have just came out of prison. So they're afraid to introduce that component. Um, so we just talk about like, okay, what do you guys do here? What's your biggest fear as it relates to bringing criminals into the workplace, right? And and they say, okay, um, well, we have a lot of copper. And I'm like, great. So let's just not hire people with pattern of theft. Because that because I wouldn't want to hire somebody with pattern of theft. If I had a bar, I wouldn't want to hire myself because I'd drink all the profits, you know. So let's just focus on first, let's talk about the fears. Then I give them education and awareness. A lot of people will just say right off the rip, they'll say, how about we hire nonviolent offenders? And then once I educate them that that's not the best at all, like not at all the best route to go, then they understand. They're just saying nonviolent offenders because we've heard it from the president a million times when they're talking about policy changes. A lot of times our nonviolent offenders reoffend mm -hmm. <laughs> the most because they have less to lose and they didn't serve as much time. So I just help people understand um, the human side and nature of crimes and now, I'll tell you, sometimes, oh, I love, my job is so much fun because I get to see the look on people's faces. So I'll bring my, um, all of my employees have at least five years experience of being incarcerated or addicted to drugs and or alcohol. So I'll bring my uh, manager, one of my managers, and she's a rock star. We actually just went back into the prison that she used to live at this weekend to speak to all the women. That was so cool. But we'll go in and we'll ask them, like, okay, so um, after the whole presentation and everything, they got to know her, we'll say, like, what do you not want to hire? What, do you, what are your fears? And they'll be like, oh, well, we certainly don't want violent crime. And she'll be like, I got assault with a deadly weapon. <laughs> and they're, like, looking at her, like, and then they'll, like, start laughing and be like, for real. And she's like, no, I really do, because I rammed my car back and forth into my boyfriend's car, and I got prison for it because he made me really mad. And so it really, like, it helps them understand, like, this nice lady who we've been talking to all day, this sweet, nice lady has assault with a deadly weapon? Seriously? And so I think a lot of people just have fears around it because they're uneducated about, you know, scenarios and things that happen that can cause people, you know, to to make a bad decision. I just talked to a girl in prison. It was yesterday. I was in prison, and I was talking to her, and she was so sweet, and I just felt like I had, we had like kindred spirits and we did. 
her birthday is the same day as mine and she gets out on my birthday and she said she's going to go speak to a, a, a recovery group that night and i said i would love nothing more than to be there because she she happened to get behind the wheel and she killed somebody drinking and driving so she spent seven years in prison but she's a sweet smart um amazing bright light of a human being but guess what you know technically she's a murderer you know which so you just have to look into people's cases like it does take some extra you can't be there's a lot of gray area with second chance hiring and and sometimes you don't always get it right you really don't and and if you are going to be a second chance hiring company know that there bad comes with the good you're going to have great stories and then you're also going to be like oh my gosh that was really bad what just happened there and would that have happened if we hired you know somebody coming out of prison maybe not maybe but would we also have these other 30 loyal employees that we couldn't live without no so you do have it's a risk it's a risk reward opportunity when you're talking to former employer or previous or p- potential employers um, about evaluating that risk. So you say, look at the offense and kind of con- connect it back to the job, which is, you know, advice certainly that's included in, in, in our training program for employers. What else do you suggest to them uh, as far as, you know, integrating uh, former offenders into their employee population? So I have a company that is in a, it's in the, actually the worst city in America in terms of it's the fastest shrinking city in America. So there is a lot of violence out there. And even though their job doesn't have, after I, so every time we onboard a really big client, I'll spend the first few weeks there myself. And you'll see me sitting in the smoking area even for like a whole week straight. I literally do undercover boss. And it's because I need to understand the environment I need to watch how my employees are interacting with their employees. I need to I need to understand what triggers there may be. And by triggers, I mean like, you know, if there's a lot of bullying in the workplace, probably not a good idea for me to put somebody who just got out of prison that got in fights all the time. It's just very triggering, right? So I, I think it's really important that I get just immersed in the environment and culture so I can understand. But at that particular location, even though gun charges or violence had nothing to do with the job they were performing, I made a suggestion myself for my own liability as well, because when bad things happen, it's my problem too. It's especially my problem. I said, hey, look, we've already made the executive decision based on what I've seen here, um, because it's it's just a very, the city is a very hostile city. And I said, I'm not going to accept anybody with gun charges in the last two years. And I even took it a step further. And I said, anybody with violent charges from that, because there were people at this particular place that had no criminal records that were getting in arguments. So I just, I wanted to play it safe. And I said, I'm not going to have anybody with any violence charges in the last seven years be cleared unless they go through a three-step process like so now we we have actually put in even more um uh, what are they called scope of work work of scope what am i saying scope of work sows we put in even more um processes to where 
our recruiters don't have a lot of room to have gray area because I don't want that pressure to be on them. I don't want something really bad to happen and it's it's they feel like it's their fault because at the end of the day, we can't control people. You see in the news all the time, the, the mayor's son just stabbed a couple of people in the colony randomly at a restaurant. He has no criminal record and he's the mayor's son. So we can't control anybody's behavior but I also want to take the pressure off my recruiters that they are completely have free reign for gray area. So we do put, based on workplace environments, we'll put policies in place. If I have a workplace environment, and I do, I have a couple that I literally have 2% turnover rate, if not zero. Like it's every single person we send there does well, sticks around and gets hired. It, they're such amazing workplace cultures. And it's literally because of the way that they treat people and how they've groomed their culture to be. And so those places, I can send my very, very, very violent offenders because I know they're going to get love and I know that they're going to transform and I know that the environment's perfect for them. But I'm not going to send my violent offenders to a place where the supervisors don't have a lot of leadership training or there's a lot of employees that are angry at each other. I just, I'm not trying to do that. So I, a lot of things that I do, it's really because it's all based on experience and things that I've seen in the last five years, having a staffing agency or 10 years of going into prison. Well, and, and what you're saying is, is interesting because I've got the same problem. I, we get clients who say, well, I know you've got other clients who do have warehouses or have restaurants or whatever. And can we just have their policies? Uh, you know, you, you've helped them write their policies. Can you just give us their policy and we'll just follow that? And I'm like, well, every company's different. All I'd be doing is giving you the rope to hang yourself with. We have to look at the controls uh, in your organization, what that role, what this job really does. I mean, you know, do they operate a forklift or are they just picking stuff up and carrying it across the warehouse? And uh, we have to look at all of that to do your policies the right way. And so I'll never give one and I really recommend they not even call their peers and say, "Let me have your policy," um, because they we need to sit down and really think through that. And usually, with most of my clients, we can do that in a day or a day and a half and put their policies together for different jobs and and come away with something that really makes sense for their organization. But it's uh, the temptation for you know for you know we're all busy and you know to take that shortcut. But just like you, I wouldn't, I don't want them, you know, I want, I want the, their policies to be tailored to that environment. And I think that's, uh, that's a big part of, you know, looking at, you know, what does this job look like in this organization? What, what, is, what, you know, what kind of offense suggests a risk for this kind of job that you know what, and I didn't care about, you know, what I'm concerned about is the underlying behavior. What does that behavior say about the risk for this job? And then maybe there's, Maybe somebody's got a whole history, and I'd be curious for you about your thought on this. Maybe somebody's got a whole history of stuff that's not directly related to the job, except that it's fairly recent and it's just consistently making bad choices and being a knucklehead. And nobody is, wants to hire somebody who they have to manage extra. And so even if it's a whole bunch of misdemeanor, petty stuff, none of it's related directly to this job, but you, you, you're you so kind of self-identifying to the employer with, with that kind of just petty history that's recent, you know, that I'm, yeah, I'm not I think it's, it's, it's definitely normal to be like, wow, you have a whole bunch of stuff and a lot of it. So we, I will say like, 
half the if I walked around my office right now and and held up my phone and did a selfie video with everybody here, their crimes look pretty bad and it was a lot and it was it was recent. Um, I have one girl here that, gosh, I I have a girl here that I have a couple girls here in their first year of recovery. So as you can imagine, they their sentences are recent or their convictions, I should say. Um, we have a whole process on how we interview on really understand. Well, you're looking at the person I told you I was the biggest faker and liar in the world. So all of us were all of us here. That's the, I hire people who were like professional fakers and liars because we understand if somebody has, again, we make mistakes too, and we're not perfect at our jobs. And I've, I've saw sometimes our biggest faults are is that we see more in somebody than they want to see in themselves and we want the job more for them than they want it and I, I have a gift and a curse my gift is I see so much potential in every single person and that can also be a curse as well because I'm seeing the potential more than I'm seeing what I'm looking at but a lot of times we can decipher one way that we can determine it is we tell them we're running your background we're doing an initial search now we're already partnered with all the texas department of criminal justice in fact we hired a former warden but we haven't even put that out there yet i haven't even put it out on linkedin yet we have a warden that works for us now so um we we really like when they do an interview with us what's really great about our company is it's not really reverse discrimination. Like we're not asking you all the details about your crime to not place you. We're asking about them so we can place you. So we just need to understand because some of our clients allow all, all criminal records and some of them don't want sex offenders. And then some of them say, Hey, I'll take somebody convicted of murder, but I don't want pattern of theft. And so that's why we're asking them. And we have, a lot of rules, not one simple rule. They sign a very long handbook. But one of the rules is, is if your official background check comes back, which you know a lot about, the one that you actually pay money for and it comes back in three days to two weeks and anything is on there that you didn't disclose, it's automatic, like you're out of here. And there's been times that I had to fire somebody for not telling me about a recent weed possession, even though they were honest about their murder charge. You know, I'm like, come on, dude. Like right. you weren't exactly. on it, you know? So. Yeah, that's definitely gospel according to the coffee commandment number one. If they lie to you coming in the door, it's not reasonable to expect their behavior to change after you hire them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my clients are using all of our process. They've asked a really thorough criminal history because I don't want them to waste their money on the background check. I want the background check to be a lie detector test that every applicant passes. And so they ask me, uh, you know, so if they, they use our process, there should be nothing on the background check that they weren't expecting. But sure enough, it happens. And then it'll be, you know, a theft by check from two years ago that they lied. They may even, like you said, be honest about other stuff, but then they lied about the theft by check. And the employer, you know, really doesn't have much choice at that point. I mean, that person's, mm -hmm. you know, just identified that for whatever reason, they didn't comply with that request uh, for that information. So uh, it's, a, it's a shame. Well, there's a ton to talk about here. And, uh, I may do a two-hour podcast one of these days and, and call you up and, and see if you'll because uh, and I, I definitely any I tell everybody they have a, if they have a chance to see you speak in person it's 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 a it's always a, a fun event and uh, in, inspiring so thank you that's all the time we have today but thank you Sherry, Sherry for joining us thank you so much I appreciate it and thank you for listening you can find previous episodes show notes and contact info for our guests 
at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer and Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Katie Bautista, keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.